This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here with Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, it's my great privilege to have you listening. And it's my great privilege to have Family First. I guess he's the chief executive. When I think of Family First, I only think of the one and only Bob McCroskey. Uh, I guess I've known him for 30 years. He's a marvellous man, a total champion, totally dedicated. If you want to find out uh, about what's happening in terms of family issues in New Zealand and government policy with respect to families, Mm -hmm. I can advise you of no better place to go than his webpage, uh, Family First. And in particular, uh, we won't cover it today because I'm hoping, hoping, that Bob will enjoy uh, this morning's talk and that he will come back and we'll cover off what's happening in education because uh, Bob and Family First have just done stunning work. They've actually broken stories, not that you'd know about it in the New Zealand media, but Bob has broken stories with parents coming to him about what's happening, not just in our high schools, but in our primary schools which is astonishing. Um, But we're going to cover that after teasing you about that. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back to that on another day with luck from Bob because Bob is the consummate professional and you can uh, follow him on his own video blog, which I do, and which is excellent. So without further ado, good morning, Bob. Nice to be with you, Rodney. Uh, Well, I hope that was a hot enough intro for you because it's quite hard to do you justice because... I look at you, you're you're a believer, you've been a Christian, I think, your whole life, if not your whole adult life, and you have been beating that drum. And I would say this, uh, Bob, while government policy has steadily marched against you, I think that in terms of people, there's a significant turn. And I think that partly, and I may be extrapolating from my own experience, I think there's been a great loss of faith in experts and people telling us to follow the science, a loss of faith in um, government, and a great bewilderment about what our values are and what we believe. And I'm finding in my own circle, as I meet people, and I openly talk about it now, great renewed interest in Christian belief and Christian teaching. Is that something you're picking up? Um, I was actually listening to a podcast as I was uh, driving um, uh, recently, and one of the great statements that came out was that um, often we look to politicians to be the solution or political parties to be the solution, but in fact they're part of the problem. Uh, and I thought it was a pretty blunt assessment, and especially saying it to someone who's an ex-politician like you. But in some ways, that's what it feels like, especially these days. Maybe not when you and I first came across each other when I was interviewing you. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're talking about, um, what was it, 2002, between 2002, 2006. So, you know, that that's quite a while ago. But, look, I just think that, as we've gone down this experiment of trying to be a secular nation and throw out uh, standards and values, which have really been the benchmark for New Zealand for so long, that suddenly people are realising actually those values have served us well and what we're now facing um, scares us. And 
look, there's a new religion in town, and it's a religion of um, secularism, of hedonism, of narcissism. It's all about me, what feels good for me, whether I get upset, whether whether something offends me, and there's no uh, community standard anymore uh, in terms of what is right. There's no moral values because it all depends on how you feel and uh, and and whether you've been upset. And um, yeah, and and I think people are realizing that that's that's a lot of trouble. I mean, for example, classic example, which is close to both our hearts, Rodney, is that we send our kids off to school, and um, in the old days, they used to. Uh, there used to be an indoct- some indoctrination. It used to be called Bible in schools, and they were taught about things like integrity and and being a good friend and and uh, you know fruit of the spirit and miracles that were performed and and even some history lessons in there. Now, of course, they're we send them off to school and they're being indoctrinated with the new religion, which is that apparently there's a uh, hundred and twelve genders and over two hundred sexualities and. I think you're uh, behind. I'm sure there'll be more. <laughs> I lost count. <laughs> and and look, it just it, it is just amazing. But it, it's the indoctrination also of climate change. And if you dare deny it, then you know you're a, yeah, that's sacrilege. Um, and there's also around critical theory. So you know, Rodney is both of us as cis white males. We are heterosexual as well. Um, you know, I've got the. The Christian label. I mean, I just can't do any worse in terms oh, no, of. Yeah, yeah. I, I should add Christian to my name because um, I hadn't realised the extent of my oppressor status that I could improve it if I added <laughs> Christian. I will do that. Sometimes yeah. I feel like identifying as an African or something. Mm. Um, and but you look, I look at it, and you see online, and you see the stunning success of Jordan Peterson. Mm. who's reaching out to young people and generating a huge following and Mm. giving very excellent um, lectures and exogenesis on Exodus and the Bible and and generating a following. There's uh, Ben Shapiro, who's um, likewise, and all with the Daily Wire and uh, Matt Walsh. So I I find that um, you were right all those years ago to foresee where this would lead. And let's hope that these poor, bewildered kids that are left without a set of values and principles do find their way um, to discover um, the importance of it because where we are now, it's very bleak for our kids because they're rudderless, I feel. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and uh, look, I saw a great quote by a um, UK commentator by the name of Justin Briley, and he was basically talking about the fact that uh, what I mentioned earlier about the new religion, and uh, he talked about, you know, that religion has a holy cause, we have ritual ceremonies, we have sacred symbols, and we try to weed out heretics. The the new religion, which is being uh, rammed down everyone's throat uh, with a huge amount of coercion, um, the holy cause is many non-believers are big on advocating for abortion and women's reproductive rights. That's the holy cause. Kneeling for the anthem to protest racism. That's ritual ceremonies. Waving the rainbow flag. That's your sacred symbols and the BLM flag. And uh, weeding out the heretics. Well, people like Posey Parker and J.K. Rowling for wrong speak on gender issues. Uh, and I thought that quote was 
really hit the nail on the head because mm. people talk about a culture war, um, but in fact, all we're seeing is a rejection of um, religious values and especially Judeo-Christian values which have underpinned New Zealand society, and it's being replaced with this, as I said, hedonism and narcissism, which is I can do what I like because I determine my own standards, I determine my own gender, uh, and if you don't agree with me, then you've got the problem, not me. And and I think um, that Posey Park, I don't know what you thought, Rodney, but I actually thought that that was possibly a tipping point just from the noise and chatter that I've seen since it on social media because what it really did was it woke people up. It, it was kind of this subtle lovers love. Uh, we accept all. We want diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, but in fact, what we saw demonstrated was much worse than that. We we saw delusion. We saw um, inequity. Um, you know, we saw the shutting down of a group of women who just gathered to talk about women's rights. And as two as two dudes, Rodney, uh, we uh, you know even we think they deserve the chance to to talk about these issues, and yet they were shut down by people that perhaps they deem to be from their own side, which I think is quite ironic. You know, us cis white men Christians sat back with our eyes wide open, just saying, "What is going on here?" When it they're actually was- it was huge. Yeah, it was. And 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 I think that um you know it it, it was really a wake-up call because I one of the interesting things, Rodney, was that Posey Parker was an interview, did an interview for the spectator. I don't know if you saw it, I posted it to my and and the really good thing about it was that people actually finally got to hear what she believed and had to say, which we never were afforded that privilege by our mainstream media. They just said she was anti-trans. But she made a really interesting point. She said during the interview, she said, look, I'm not religious, but some of that opposition that I experienced at Albert Park felt demonic. Uh, and I thought that was an, a really uh, perceptive statement to make because well, I think I've, almost came, I've almost come to religion by recognizing the demonic nature of what we're confronting mm. because you almost go through the values and teachings of the Bible mm. and every one of them has been systematically ripped apart. Mm. I th- believe too that we saw through the politicians and particularly the news media because the news media would never let us to see what Posey Parker had to say. Mm. She was a bit like Brenton Tarrant, you know, the mm. name that should never be spoken. Mm. And when we did see what she had to say, it was 100% in agreement with what I think. Mm. And yet the media, it was the media and our politicians that were saying she's this terrible person. And even the National Party and the ACT Party were disgustingly weak because they said, well, she can speak. But they wouldn't come out in support of what she had to Mm. say. Mm. Uh, It shouldn't be a hard thing to do. And also... We had this weird thing that hitherto we'd only seen in the United States, whereby the media was telling us the protesters were all about peace and love, and we were watching a man close his fist Mm. and repeatedly punch a Mm. 70-year-old woman to fracture her eye socket. Mm. Mm. And it was so stark that the media at that point were lying to us. Mm. And I think that is a tipping point. It was like an a, a, a nadir. It was like the 
Uh, but then I, I always aware of what Richard Pebble used to, to teach me. He said, if you think it's bad now, he said, and it can't get any worse, he said, you just lack imagination <laughs> because um, it can get worse, but it was a big wake-up call to a lot of people. And, of course, it was one of those water-cooler moments, wasn't it, mm. where people were talking about it in the pub, they were talking about it over coffee, mm. and they were forming a view on which side they sat and no one was proud to be a Kiwi about the way she was treated. No. And it also awoken them to this trans issue as not being about love and inclusion, but actually being about aggression and violence to anyone that might question it. I've got a lovely email, Bob, which I read out uh, this week from a transvestite, an 80-year-old transvestite, wonderful, wonderful letter. And the summary of it was, she knows what a man is and she knows what a woman is. And she said, I'm not a woman. Hmm. She said, I wish I was, but I'm not. And she said, it's been a you know, tough time for me and I've never pushed myself. And over time, you know, there's been some acceptance. And she said she saw these activists coming in years ago, 20 years ago, and it fills her with horror what's happening. And that's an 80-year-old transvestite. Mm. I mean, this is extraordinary um, stuff that's going on. And so um, it's a bit like after the French Revolution. These revolutionaries are carving themselves up from within as well. Yeah, I, I think that there's always going to be those extremities. I mean, unfortunately, we saw that with the um, parliamentary protest where you actually had something that was very legitimate and the loveliest of people there um, and being totally misrepresented by the media. I mean, you know, I saw that. I don't know if you saw the research on that, but it found out that actually there was disproportionate Māori representation in that group and yeah. also... Uh, there was a disproportionate number of Labour and Green supporters. Yes. So you couldn't say it was a far right uh, uh, white gathering. It was anything but it was a... We're just referring to research that Bob McCroskey did through Family First on the media coverage of the parliamentary protest, mm. which was very fair and balanced, but it was pointing out that the reporting, um, as anyone that was at the protest knows, the reporting was so skew-if. And again, to anyone who was at that protest, you realise that the New Zealand media were lying. They yeah. weren't just putting a bias in. We understand a bias. We understand about you can take a set of facts and exclude some and put an angle on it. But this was um, straight out lying. So we are living in um, interesting times, but you now, uh, I think and believe and hope uh coming into your own because we're looking around for leadership and values and principles. And I'd like to start there with you, Bob, because your organisation is family first. And I'd like you to explain to me the organisation first, and then I'd like you to explain to me what you see as a family because even that now can't be defined, just like a woman can't be defined. 
<laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, 17 years ago, um, as you know, I was on the other side of the microphone and in, in interviewing people, and I always found it difficult to often find a conservative voice on some issues. If I wanted to talk about uh, civil unions or prostitution or um, the anti-smacking law, which were big topics at that time, uh, it was easy to find the left-wing approach, but often it was hard to find a, a conservative, social conservative viewpoint. Uh, and so in 2006, um, decided to set up Family First, and it was to be a voice in the media to give some, basically to give a, another viewpoint, a social conservative viewpoint. It went um, swimmingly well because we had massive debates around the anti-smacking law and, of course, the uh, referendum, 87% rejecting the law and the politicians ignoring it. Uh, and then we, you know, had other debates which came along, including the gay marriage debate. And then we had abortion and euthanasia. And over time, uh, effectively, what happened was that Family First was being cancelled by the media. So less and less our phone was being rung. They didn't want to hear our viewpoint. We were sort of persona non grata after the gay marriage debate because they didn't like our, didn't like what we uh, uh, said. And then when we got to the uh, euthanasia and abortion debates, it was, you know, just didn't want to hear from us at all. And then, of course, when we uh, surprisingly and uh, miraculously won the um, cannabis legalization debate, well, that was the end. The phone just stopped ringing full stop. They were so angry um with with us uh and of course you know they still go on about how they only just lost i mean do you remember that all black game where i think we won by it was at eden park the world cup final and we won nine eight or something wasn't it you know can you imagine the the french was it the french or was it the english i think it was the french wasn't it and and um you can just imagine them complaining and saying you know look, we lost by one point we really should be the world champions everyone would just laugh at them and of course that's what the pro cannabis group have been moaning about for the last uh 3 years is that they they lost by 2% and well, um, thank you for that because that 2% <laughs> was probably 4 5% of that was yours well the problem was that the as we found from the media analysis was that um the media were 2 to 1 in favor of the yes vote and they were getting huge favours, but um, even then, with more recent debates like abortion and the conversion therapy law, which means that you know you're at risk legally of affirming your daughter as being a girl and your son as being a boy. I mean, a lot of people really don't understand just how far-reaching that law is until you become uh, one of those parents that that do get into trouble. And we're seeing examples from the UK and the States and also from Australia, and it will come here to New Zealand as well. But it's... Um, and so, that conversion so, therapy, by the way, only runs one way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can convert to LGBT, but uh, yes. if you uh, convert away from LGBT, then that's illegal and you should be in prison. That's right. And, I mean, conversion therapy is actually still legal in New Zealand. It's just you've got to go in the direction of LGBT, and yes. it's happening every, every day in schools around the country yes. with groups like Inside Out and and uh, family planning. So, so yeah, we've got to the point as family first is uh, that we're really um, creating alternative media. And so that's why we're, you know, stoked that that you guys are up and running um, because it, it, it's filling a gap where people are simply looking for some open, balanced, robust debate mm. uh, and not being told how to think. I think that's the thing that really bugged us with all our analyses of, 
of all the debates is that the media uh, felt like they were telling people how to think rather than presenting the debate and allowing people to make up their own mind. And now, of course, you've got this plummeting trust in the media where, you know, even um, media that we go to regularly because maybe we prefer it, uh, half of us don't trust it. And it's, it's a real, it's a real issue because, you know, I think back in our younger days, Rodney, if we still remember, there was some, there was credibility, you know, Philip Sherry reading the news, Tom Bradley, um, you know, there were, there were voices that we heard where we, um, we, they, we gave them gravitas because we trusted what they were saying and we've lost that trust. And, and I think society's the weaker for it. And, and, and so we're paying the cost of that. So we're 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 for we're for family first now. Well, because effectively we're cancelled in the mainstream media. We're creating our own media and working in partnership with with um, you know um, groups like you. But also we're simply empowering and educating parents so that they can speak up. I think. Well, I've got to say, as yeah. a parent. Your, your material that you have uh, put before us as parents and grandparents um, has been, to coin the phrase, a godsend because um, it awoken me to in a way that I wouldn't have believed of what was happening in the, mm. in the school. And when I went down to find out, it was exactly as you <laughs> predicted. And I truly didn't believe it because mm. I just assumed it was in some particularly woke schools but it's every school bob and parents do not know well one of the funny things was we were i was just doing some research on the marriage issue and i was looking back at our pamphlet that we'd done back in 2013 when the debate was happening and one of the points we made was that as you weaken some of these institutions you'll see other other um institutions start to crumble and one of the points we made was that uh, the term mother and father and husband and wife would disappear. And in fact, we we actually caused a bit of a furor because we made this claim that husbands and wives had been, um, were going to be removed from marriage certificates. And we actually saw evidence that that was going to happen, but the select committee quickly, Ruth Dyson, uh, the Labour MP, quickly re- reassured everybody that no, that wasn't going to happen. Of course, now, uh, it's not only mother, father, and uh, husband and wife that have disappeared. It's uh, the fact that women can get pregnant. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I mean, we're going to get cancelled just for saying that now, Rodney. Yes. You know, saying that only women can get pregnant, uh, and yes. this is and weeding out the heretics who don't align to the new religion that's being rammed down the culture. And I've got you. I've got you off the topic, but that <laughs> Inside Out organization. Mm. Have you? Have you figured out and researched them? Because well, they're part of Rainbow Youth. Yes, and the, it's like a um, they turned up just for everyone's uh, um, knowledge. There's an organisation funded by the New Zealand government called Inside Out, and it's basically um, all those letters that you hear. Um, so it's transvestites, gays, bisexuals, and a whole lot of other things that um, I really didn't want to know what they were. But they look troubled youth to me, and um, I'd love to have them on the show. So if they get to hear of this, please come on, and 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 I'll give you, just like I give Bob all the time in the world. But I was horrified to learn that these teenagers turned up and had two hours with my 11-year-old. And this is this idea of inclusion and diversity. 
and I knew nothing of it. Mm. And the government had funded these people to explain to my daughter that she could be gay, she could be bi, she could be trans at 11. Mm. There's no, they're not allowed to be children, Bob. Well, that's actually quite late in the piece. Um, it's actually from seven years up that they start getting taught gender ideology. Actually, I was just, um, as part of my research, I was looking at how much government funding Rainbow Youth get. They got, in the last financial year, they got uh, about 850000 from central local government and district health boards to go into schools like your child's school and tell them that there's 112 sexuality uh, genders and more than 200 sexualities. It's it's actually evil. <laughs> it's conversion therapy, Rodney, but it's, it's legal. <laughs> it's evil to be doing that to seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years. It's just you know you try and keep your kids children and innocent, and then the mm. government is doing this to you. But Bob, back to we got family first. And I yeah. love it that you're doing your media, and I love it that you're keen to um, engage because uh, every time you do something, I just um, want to have you on. We're, in terms of Reality Check Radio, we've got everything. We've got hardcore atheists, we've got committed Christians, and we've got people like me who are moving towards becoming Christians fast. <laughs> and um, and certainly there's people like me who value Christian history, Christian teaching, Christian values as something that we should never have lost. But I want to ask you, how do you tell us about the family? Because mm. what is a family and what is the history of family? Because it seems to me, and tell me where I'm wrong, that every culture has been built upon families, you know? Well, that's right, because family is really just a reflection of what nature is doing, and nature dictates that if a um, man and a woman come together and do the act, then uh, a possible consequence is a new human life, and really that's the uh, where the definition of family is built around. Now, of course, there are always exceptions to, to the rule. Um, but that doesn't undermine the rule. It just says that there are exceptions. Unfortunately, some marriages do break up. That just happens. Unfortunately, some women cannot get pregnant and bear children. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, death, desertion, divorce, all those things can happen, but that doesn't change the basic structure of the nuclear or natural family, as we call it. Um, and you can use, you know, surrogacy and IVF to try and get around, scoot around those rules. Eh? And adoption. And adoption, yeah. Uh, yeah, although, see, with adoption, what you're doing is you're providing the, the nuclear family to that child. Yes. And so the child's best interests are at heart. What we're seeing more and more in the culture uh, with the likes of people like Tamati Coffey and others who are campaigning for basically the adults' rights to have children, even though biologically it's not possible because they're in a same-sex relationship. And guess what? Biology discriminates. Uh, can you believe it? It discriminates and says that, no, two people of the same sex cannot create a human life. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, families have come in all shapes and sizes, but what we should never do is lose sight of two key components of the natural family, and that is that uh, when mum and dad are committed to each other to raise the child that they have produced, then social science is beyond doubt that that brings about the best outcomes for that mm -hmm. child. 
And it also brings out the best outcomes for the adults involved as well. Now, people will immediately say, well, I know ex- exceptions to that. My, you know, Maybe they'll say, well, it didn't work out for me. No, that's because humans are involved and wherever humans are involved, it's never quite goes perfect. But you know, in terms of outcomes, the best possible outcome, the greatest likelihood is in that um, realm where the where the parents are committed to each other in marriage, and marriage was simply a reflection of what was happening in the culture. It wasn't the culture following marriage. It was actually marriage being built around what was happening in the culture of yes. a man and a woman being committed and being committed to what they produced. Um, and, and, and to put it in... Um, civilizational terms or societal terms, a society can only thrive and prosper if children are looked after. Hmm. And what it took to produce a child was a man and a woman, and what it took to raise a child was a man and a woman. Hmm. Uh, This has been the case for tens of thousands of years. And cultures that recognized that fact and built around that fact, and not just Christian cultures, um would succeed and prosper because to me now looking at it marriage is not about me it's about my children Hmm. and um you start off in love with your husband or wife and you get married and children follow and then it becomes the love of your children and you go through hard times, any marriage does, but you're there in the long haul for the sake of the children, mm. which is what previous generations have done. But as you say now, it's a bit me too-ish. And if I'm unhappy, then I take off or the wife takes off and you know the kids have that unsettlement, which isn't optimal for their development or their outlook. Now, lovely fathers and lovely mothers do the best they can for their kids. But what what you're saying and what I'm saying is in the ideal world, you'd have a a man and a woman in a committed relationship like used to be the norm. We had the lovely Lindsay Mitchell on and she was explaining, you know, the change since, you know, 1962, um, which is massive in terms of the commitment that men and women made to each other for the sake of the children that they had together. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, I, and I, it's funny you say that. I was just going to quote Lindsay Mitchell because, um, I mean, she's a mutual friend of, of both of ours and she's done some wonderful research for us, which has has never been challenged in terms of its accuracy. Um, it's just ignored because it tells an inconvenient truth. And she's basically examined family structure around child poverty, around child abuse, around imprisonment for, for parents. And what she constantly finds is that the stable, intact two-parent family where mum and dad are married um, is the safest environment for a child to be, safest environment for a parent not to end up in prison, and the safest environment um, in terms of avoiding uh, child poverty. Now, the problem is that we've got um, rapidly decreasing marriage rates. Uh, We've also got um, high teen pregnancy rates, especially amongst Māori, unfortunately, although they are decreasing, which is a good thing. But you've got very weak formation of families, and then when the pressure comes on, and uh, you know, Rodney, as, as we both know, when children arrive, it's a whole new challenge. It's a it's a new demand. It's not just about you and the person you love. It's about these 
these children that you love to bits, but are also incredibly challenging and, and tiring and 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 suddenly you've got to stop thinking about yourself and you've got a whole new world to to think about and you've got to think about the school and what they're polluting your children's minds with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, those types of pressures. Now, if you're not committed and made that public declaration, I actually remember one time I was at the physio and and as you can imagine, I've got a a lifelong membership at the physio, but my my female physio was working on my calf muscle or something, and and she was living with her boyfriend, and she said to me, "Oh, we're, we're going to get married," and um, I said, I played a little bit of devil's advocate, and I said, well, "What's the point of getting married? You're living together. I mean, you know, why waste money on a wedding?" Uh, and she said, "Well, Bob, if if we're going to have children, I want to know he's committed." Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing was that um, I don't know if you remember, but Jacinda Ardern and Clark Gayford actually admitted that when they announced the um, impending arrival of of their child, yes. they said, "Oh, we 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 moved in together. Um, we we're having a baby, and yeah, we we will get married. We've sort of got things in the wrong order." And and I thought that was a classic statement because deep down, I think all of us know that. The, the the best way to prepare is to get that commitment right, to get those structures in place, um, and and then for the child that that's child centred, but it's a good child centred. I um, years ago I heard this line and it stayed with me and I've repeated it and I don't know who, even who said it, but they were asked what was the key to a successful life and they said it's not hard, uh, you go to, go to school and get educated. You leave school and get a job and you work hard. Um, you meet a man or a woman that you fall in love with and you get engaged and then you get married. Oh, you get a job. Yeah. Right. You get a job, <laughs> you fall in love, you get engaged, you get married, and then you have children. Yeah. And it's the key thing about uh, succeeding is you have to do it in that order. Mm. And that's the point, right? We get the order. We've got solo mothers, teen, and then they start trying to go and get go back to high school, and everything's um, not ordered. And as you say, those children come along and they're demanding. Um, and when you look across cultures, Bob, I mean, all cultures have families, right? I mean, it's not, it's, we look at it from a Western civilization point of view, but if you're Indian or if you're Muslim or um, uh, a t- tribal Africans, th- there's the family, right? It, it's mm. it's a bedrock of society by the virtue nature of it. And, of course, men and women have, depending on your persuasion, have been made or have evolved to have these differing physical and emotional attributes to complement each other, Hmm. succeeding for the sake of the children. Um, And we all know, those of us lucky to have uh, a loving mum and a dad, we all know the times that you need need mum, and we all know the times that you've needed dad. And Hmm. uh, to grow up well, you felt you needed both. Hmm. They serve different roles in the family. And that, that's been denied. And, of course, just like we've got to the point where the prime minister doesn't know what a woman is, for years and years and years, when you think about it, no politician could decide, define a family. Mm. Couldn't couldn't be done. I mean, a family could be anything. It could be, you know, literally 
Um, it could be anything. <laughs> it really could be anything. Well, I, I think deep down, if you watched uh, Chris Hipkins struggle with that question, it wasn't that he didn't know the answer. It was he wasn't sure how to verbalise the political answer. And you could actually see the cogs burning in his head almost, you know, visually uh, trying to figure out, well, this is what the answer is. But if I say this, then I'm going to get in trouble with this group. But if I say this, I'm going to get in trouble with that group. I mean, we uh, I don't know if you saw Christopher Luxon's response as well. I mean, he originally got it right, but then he um, undid himself by trying to um, – sort of give exclusions to that and and acknowledging that some people would self-identify. Uh, I think it was only David Seymour and Winston Peters who gave, you know, a quite clear answer uh, to that question. What but do you what do you make of Chris Luxon? Because I'm bitterly disappointed in him. And I'm bitterly disappointed in him because he says he's Christian and he was attacked for being Christian. And I loved that about him because I thought, well, you know, he's I know where he stands on the issues. And um, he can always say, well, this is how I'll vote on my conscience. But when I'm governing as prime minister, I'll be governing for all New Zealand. And Bill English steered that politicians forever have steered that path. But you knew that Bill English was a Christian. And you knew where he would stand on the issues, but he was still a great politician and he, he he ruled for all of New Zealand. But Chris Luxon seems to me to be running away from his fundamental beliefs as fast as you can. And when I see that, Bob, I think that's a person that can't be trusted. Does that, does that, I mean, if he wasn't a Christian, it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> but because he is a Christian, he, he actually has to believe in it. Like it's got to be more important to him than succeeding as at the polls, to me. Mm. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, there's that uh, rather um, blunt statement that says, you know, I have some values and if you don't like them, I have some yeah. others. Uh, what worries me is that often some political leaders uh, are looking to be uh, looking to be popular with the media and actually lose uh, sight of who's actually voting for them and who they need to grab in terms of their vote. I mean, I was always disappointed in the way John Key, um, you know, turned around um, in his views on both uh, marriage and also on the anti-smacking law. Can I tell you the secret about the anti-smacking that I've never said before? And I was I heard you speak about it before and I was cogitating it. Well, before you say that, I do want to just acknowledge you were praising me at the beginning, but I always took my hat off to was it five ACT MPs who stood for the 87% of New Zealanders who thought yeah. this law is a silly law that won't deal with the actual problem of child abuse. Uh, all it will do is penalise good parents. And and so I take my hat off to... Uh, well, I got that one yours. right. On other issues, I apologise to you for because you were right and I was wrong. But on that one, we got it right. But yep. after the 2008 election, I met with John Key and we were literally forming a government. And I was the leader of the ACT Party and he needed our votes or the Maori Party votes to govern. Mm. So these were pretty important negotiations. And John Key's a wonderful, wonderful guy. But 
I had this astonishing insight, and it was this. I said to him, Prime Minister, why don't you just get rid of the smacking law? He says, what do you mean? I said, well, 87% of New Zealanders want it gone. I said, there's nothing that comes along in your life as a politician that has 87% support. And I said, it's not a support that's theoretical. It's demonstrated in a referendum. Hmm. And he then said the most astonishing thing to me that I've ever ever heard. And I went away wondering if he was the smartest guy I'd ever met or something else. And I've come to the conclusion it was something else. Because he said to me, well, that's true. But if I did that, the media would hate me. Mm. Yeah. He said, I've just started out as prime minister. And along the path of being prime minister, the media will turn on me but I don't want to start off with them against me. And I went away thinking, well, that's pretty clever, right? Because, you know, that's true in a way. Mm. But that's not the way to run a country or that's not mm. a way to run your own life. No, I, I think that would be, um, that, that, that that's a problem for a lot of politicians is that they're more scared of the media than they are of the of the uh, vote. The only time that they start thinking about the the uh, the pundits, the uh, people like us, is is sort of the six months before the election, and so they're suddenly wondering what we're thinking about. But back to your question about um, look that that uh, what you've said about John Key's response to the anti-smacking is exactly the messaging that I got as well. The the in terms of Christopher Luxon, well, I mean the things that have really disappointed me is is uh, one when he told uh, Simon O'Connor to pull down a post celebrating the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not because necessarily he disagreed with Simon O'Connor, but the fact that on a conscience issue uh, and on a personal value that he was forcing um, Simon O'Connor to, to you know, basically change his opinion. Uh, and then, of course, a recent example was Maureen Pugh with, uh, with um, the environmental, you know, if you don't buy into the, see, and that's another religion, Rodney, that's being forced um, on us. Um, but the, no, there's an even more recent one, and that was with um, a candidate who's standing in Mangakiki, uh, Greg Fleming, who was part of the Maxim Institute. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, basically he was told to renounce his views around if you redefine marriage once, then what stops you redefining it again? It was a classic, uh, actually, that was the reason I was researching our marriage pamphlet and saw that thing about uh, husbands and wives being re being re removed because, um, uh, you know, we were making the basic argument, if you redefine something once and you change the requirements as to gender, then why can't you change the requirements as to number? I mean, based on human rights. And, of course, that's the same risk that we're looking at with in terms of euthanasia. Sure, euthanasia has been limited to a terminal disease where you're possibly going to die within six months. But already they're talking about, like in Canada, talking about mental illness, uh, tired of life, um, conditions, homeless. terminal. Yeah. Homeless. I'm yeah. homeless. I want to die. Yeah. Um, it's it's extraordinary. No, that I had forgotten the Greg Fleming thing, and that's silly because it was so recent, but I so switched off. Uh, Christopher Luxon over the morning pew comment because mm. he could have just easily said what leaders have always done. Well, look, she's entitled to her views. You know, she's mm. just a question and you'd move on. 
the National Party's got a policy on this, um, but you don't feel as though on, on the big issues of the day he's across it. And, of course, that sphere of the media is also because the media always paint a false picture, and they certainly painted a false picture on Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Um, you know, what it actually meant, what the Supreme Court was actually saying. And those who have followed, you know, the issue in the, in, in the United States of America understood exactly what the Supreme Court was saying because mm-hmm. even the most left-wing um, academics uh, considered that Roe versus Wade was wrong. Mm-hmm. Because it was, it's simply an issue for the states, not for the federal government. That's all it is. Mm. It's it's the locus of decision making. It wasn't about whether abortion is a right or not. It was actually mm. where the decision is to be made. Um, tell me, uh, oh, and the thing that interests me, I love Trump, and I love Trump um, because he didn't care about the media. Mm. I mean, he got everyone against him. He got offside with the Pope. He'd get offside with the Republican Party. He'd get offside with the media. And he could still cut through. And I was thinking, this is so amazing to see because you were such a brilliant communicator to Americans that had been forgotten about. And, of course, we have the same thing here in New Zealand where what were the middle-class voters in New Zealand have been totally forgotten about, and Trump could cut through, and you'd be quite pleased. And I guess Winston's our closest uh, politician to that uh, persona where they don't actually care about the media and they'll take on the media. Mm. And that that would be so important. And, of course, Greg Fleming gets a hard time. Chris Luxon gets a hard time because they're Christian. But if you're a Muslim or a Hindu, it's a wonderful example of diversity to get um, to get voted into Parliament, and no one's chasing uh, the Muslim MPs about their views on religious issues. They get a but, pass. I know, and the uh, funny example of that was that um, Sonny Bill Williams, uh, at the time when the trans debate was all going, I don't know if you saw, but he did a tweet where uh, he 100% agreed with somebody who was sharing the fact that uh, when they were growing up, they wanted to change sex. Unfortunately, their parents didn't buy into the ideology. And so they posted this tweet. So Sonny Bill Williams goes 100%, you know, retweets it. Uh, of course, they, they you know, got very annoyed with them. But then next day, um, Tamati Coffee of all people, uh, a gay Labour MP, posts a photo with the fantastic Sonny Bill Williams, who's visiting Rotorua. <laughs> it was actually, it was quite a contrast. And, and, uh, and of course, that yeah. Israel guy, I've forgotten his last Israel name. Israel Falau, yep. He got a completely different treatment because he did it from a Christian point of view, not a Muslim one. Yeah, that's right. And of course, you won't have heard of Hanin Zrika, who's a Australian um, Aussie rules uh, female player. She refused to wear the rainbow jersey. But the reason you haven't yes, heard I do. Her, I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, um, she's Muslim. Uh, and so, of course, there wasn't the furor. She hasn't lost her contract. She's not having to play in Japan because she's persona non grata. Um, you know, and and look, uh, the, the interesting thing with Israel Folau is that, in fact, a lot of people think that the furor began when he talked about hell. In fact, it began a couple of years before when the uh, same-sex marriage debate was happening in, in Australia, 
and he put out a tweet which simply said, uh, look, I respect and love all people, but I personally cannot support same-sex marriage. That was it. Yes. And that was almost word for word what he put. Yes. From then on, he was he was watched, he was goaded, he was uh, trolled. They tried to catch him. They just kept asking questions. And, of course, uh, you know, like you and me, he just, you know, honestly answers the questions that were put up, puts up some scripture, and boom, he's lost his career. And unlike, um, I mean, the manly seven guys that also refused to wear the pride jersey, I mean, I take my hat off to them as well. But I really um, admire Israel Folau because he stood on his own. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't and a great... wonderful wife stood with him. Yeah, uh, Maria. And I thought that's where a lot of New Zealanders thought, well, hang on. Okay, Israel's Australian. We can we can hate on him, but how can we hate on Maria? We love her. And yes. so it was interesting, uh, interesting how the media tried to get around that particular problem because they wanted to treat Israel like the devil, but yes. they knew that Maria was, you know, deeply loved in the in New Zealand. So, um, so you know, it was very different, eh? Very, very different. Do you feel sometimes, Bob, as though you are living in a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, I think that goes back to that um, original point that I made, is that we're now, um, we're now having a new religion which has been pushed down on the culture, and the religion is based around uh, hedonism, and it's based around narcissism. Uh, and for those who are probably right now saying, well, what the heck is that? Hedonism is defined as the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence, um, pleasure-seeking, self-gratification, overindulgence, overconsumption. Uh, so that's hedonism. And narcissism is basically an excessive interest in or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. So, I mean, I've just really explained uh, kind of <laughs> a lot of the culture, isn't it? It's about... Their own pleasure and their own defining of what the parameters are, what the morals are. They can choose what they do, when, where, why, who with, uh, and they can even choose whether they do that as male or female. And um, biology can go to hell. And uh, you know, it, it is a new religion, and it's a religion that's being not only evangelized in our culture; it's being forced down in our culture. And that's why you're part of a new um, radio station because uh, whole groups are being uh, cancelled because of, of what's going on. In fact, I, I actually just watched Peter Williams' new documentary, uh, Silenced, as, oh, I, yeah. as I went for a run a couple of days ago, and, and it was fascinating just to listen to his personal experience of, of effectively just being told what he could say, despite the fact he was on uh, so-called talkback, where you're supposed to allow for diversity of opinion, we've lost that art of diversity of opinion because, see, Rodney, if you don't buy into this new religion, um, then you need to be cancelled. You're a heretic. And, you know, J.K. Rowling is a heretic. Isn't that astonishing? Mm. I think that's the irony of it, actually, Rodney, because, as I said, you and me as a cis white male with a, you know, a Christian or almost a Christian in your case, um, we sit back and just watch and watch as left-wing uh, liberal people um, are getting destroyed in the media. Um, there's a there's a woman actually um, from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, I can't remember her name now, 
but she was she deemed herself to be left wing liberal, and she actually re- so the Christian the, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is similar to Radio New Zealand, so it's a state broadcaster, and she um, she left because basically the whole newsroom had moved so far to the left that even her as a left winger felt like a right winger. And she was she was saying, why are we pushing these things? Why are we only giving one side of the transgender debate, the climate change debate, um, the mandate and the vaccine debate? And um, she quickly realized that actually she was she was being pushed out of a left wing newsroom, even though she was left wing. And I mean, we've seen that in our in the research that's been done around the media, uh, even in New Zealand, that um, I think. Uh, by self-confession of the media, 85% of the media are left-leaning. So, look, I think, and I think you can get around that. I'm not saying, I mean, I don't know if you remember Simon Collins, who used to work for the New Zealand Herald. He was a a fantastic reporter. I felt that he tried to find both sides of the debate. But he was, yeah, and he would say he was left-wing. But but I thought the real test, and actually that's why I always took my hat off to Sir Paul Holmes, because... I don't know if I could actually pin down who he would have voted for. No, and I think that's a credit. It's a great credit, and he 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 was a master class in interviewing and in empathy and an understanding and a highly intelligent, extremely well-read person. Yeah, and with that common touch, and and you're quite right. And there was no hate. Mm. There was no aggression. There was no um, playing off one side against the other. He was he was truly for humanity and for journalism. And mm. you just look at it now, and it's just it's like you go to journalism school, and this is the side that I'm on. And because I'm a journalist, and you push that side, and you have this crazy thing that when you question them, they say, oh, "Well, you know, I'm not getting into the politics of it," mm. and they've been ramming down politics to you for thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> I I looked over the edge with the COVID policy, Bob. I've always been I've always been a libertarian slash anarchist, and with the COVID stuff, I looked over the edge because. It just sent me reeling that we would be so put upon by a bunch of politicians and that it was happening around the world and that we meekly just took it on the flimsiest of explanations. And whatever your view at the time of the virulency and mortality and the sickness of COVID. There were different ways of doing it, but it could never Mm. be discussed. It was just Mm. bang. And when that when that Canadian protest occurred and you could watch it online, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. I always loved trucks and truck drivers because my father was one. And to see those great trucks heading into the capital at huge expense and at huge trouble to themselves, driving across a great continent, Mm -hmm. man, my heart just swelled. And Mm -hmm. then to see what the government did to them or to anyone trying to help them or to the money, 
these were working people, Bob. Mm. Then, of course, we had the same thing here. And the same pattern of media bias, political abuse, and I was fortunate enough to get to the parliamentary protest just for a day. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. And I found myself sitting with Green Party voters, Labour Party voters, hardcore Christians, Harry Krishnas, um, hardcore <laughs> Maori nationalists, every political persuasion under the sun, mm. all getting along. And I came to a realisation there, looking up at Parliament, which I thought I understood a little, <laughs> that it's almost like they've spent their time decades dividing us Mm. and that that protest and those policies united us and developed a humanity in us and i think that's where this radio station has grown out of bob and that a new questioning which again is a wonderful thing and a new awakening because you know i sat with people that normally i wouldn't listen to and they wouldn't listen to me Mm. And it was a wonderful coming together and that you almost felt that these artificialities of politics and race, which has been put upon us, because it doesn't exist. You know, you go to, you and I have both been to Mount Monganui recently, and we just had a ball hanging out with Kiwis of all descriptions. And yet you turn open the paper you listen to politics and it's all how we're racially divided and we all hate mm-hmm. each other and all it's mm. not true no and that's where you have got such a great message of hope of belief of faith um of principle which the other side while it's a religion doesn't have does it i mean if you look at it you, 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 the Christian religion is about hope and salvation. You look at the other side, and it's all about who's doing who over. Oh, those white guys are doing me over. Oh no, I'm a disabled Maori, so I'm being done over by those um, that 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 group of Maori there. Oh no. Um, I'm a transvestite and I'm being done over by the lesbians. And it's just endless victimhood and negativity without salvation. All you can do to momentarily make yourself good is attack someone and Mm. point the finger so it's not pointing at you and also live in the past about who oppressed you a hundred years ago. Somehow it's carried down. Mm. It's a terrible, destructive viewpoint, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, um, in terms of religious faith, most religious faiths come from the viewpoint that they've been created equal, that they've been created with value and that they have purpose. Uh, but critical theory comes along and critical theory, it's not only uh, sexuality and gender ideology being rammed in classes, but there's also critical theory, which says that either you're an oppressor or you're the oppressed. Uh, and if you're white, you're, you're definitely an oppressor. And uh, you've been oppressing since, um, you know, generations ago, back in the 1700s. And Christianity and, is a cause of it too, right? Well, no, that's right. I'm, yeah. That, so. That, Christianity and colonialism is what, you know, damaged everyone. Yeah, apparently. 
apparently, except um, during Waitangi <laughs> weekend at the beginning of this year, I was up at, um, you know, looking at, at some of the history of the missionaries who had come in. Now, not all of them were perfect, but there was a huge amount of bringing the gospel uh, yes. and, and uh, working with the Māori and then the Māori actually uh, going out and evangelising themselves and, and some amazing stories, the footprint of faith, which is actually over our country. But, of course, nobody wants to acknowledge because... Yeah. You know, Christianity uh, is something we're trying to weed out because we've got to make way for this new religion, um, you know, of, of hedonism and narcissism and 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 get rid of anything that that has historic values. So it's you know, it's it Christianity. It was Christianity and Christian belief that rid the world and rid New Zealand of two abominations: cannibalism and slavery. Mm. Isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, um, you don't even get the, we don't even get that credit. <laughs> we get attacked for slavery, and you say, "But hang on, people that believe like us, who were better people than us, actually, because I can't imagine what they went through, stood up and said slavery is wrong, mm. and not only are we going to fight it." We're going to risk our lives, and some of us will die to prevent it. And the British Navy lost men and ships stopping the slave trade um, to save people whom they never would meet or know, but they did it. No other no other belief system did that, and yet um, here's poor family first trying to spread a message of the values that saw slavery eradicated because this is where I get to with this religion, Bob, and I'm sure it feeds into the abortion debate. But to me, it starts with this idea that I can't get away from that life has to be sacred. Mm. And then I say to myself, where does that sacredness come from? And it's actually got to come from a belief and another power, because you can't reason your way to making life sacred. Mm. I can't. And yet um, I know that killing people is wrong and you shouldn't be doing it. And there's this big debate about when does the killing start? And you and I share our views on that. And um, But I can't see how this cult that can't define a woman sees colonialism and Christianity as this terrible thing, can ever conclude that life is sacred and families are important. Mm. It can't. Can it? No, no. I mean, I mean life is sacred. That's what, um, you know, Christianity and, and other religions believe, and yet, um, in effect, what we're seeing in the culture is an anti-life sentiment in terms of abortion, in terms of euthanasia, in terms yeah. of even... Even what what's happening in the transgender movement of cutting off uh, healthy body parts, you know, mastectomies and um, operations like that, you know, for some reason we think that children can be uh, freed and and can get over their mental unwellness by chemicalizing them and castrating them. I mean, the, the anomalies in the in the whole. Um, debate are, are just stunning, and yet they're being pushed and rammed down on people. And if you dare disagree, you, you're labelled phobic of some sort, and uh, you should be cancelled. Um, at the end of the day, I think you know it's 
time, as you said earlier on, that um, some of us have got to take bravery pills and we've got to stand up and have some spine. My favourite quote is Reverend Billy Graham, who said, when a brave man takes a stand, it stiffens the spines of others. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that a lot of people, I uh, think that's maybe where the Albert Park, uh, Posey Parker thing was a tipping point because uh, people around the water cooler actually had a discussion, actually found out that a lot of uh, people held the same views but just had been scared to speak up about it. And, of course, that's that's the exact tactic. Um, if you read the tactics of 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 the left of, of how they want to attack, they, they admit that uh, what you do is if you disagree with somebody, you don't deal with the argument because you might not win it. You simply label them negatively. Yeah. Uh, and so you call them, you know, every term under the sun. And, um, and of course, that shuts up people and it shuts up Christians because we because don't like You, you don't want words. to be associated with no. racists or Nazis or what? Or homophobia or transphobia or bigotry. Uh, but usually my, my philosophy is as soon as they bring out a term like that, it's an admission that they've lost the argument. Yes. Well, you've you've been aware of this and have endured this um, for decades, and a lot of us only woke up to this three years ago. Another thing to close a note on, Bob, is a lot of people have emailed me uh, with the reality, been lovely emails about how they're finding, they've been through a tough time. Mm been through a tough time because the things that they believed in in terms of government and politicians and experts have proven <laughs> false and they've been lost like me but it must be amazing for you because you can go through extremely tough times and my goodness you have as you've watched uh, key pillars of civil society get ripped apart and you have been actively campaigning against them against Herculean odds and having the odd win but taking a lot of losses. But it must be something because I think what a lot of us found through tough times is we didn't have a faith to sustain us. But you've always had that, haven't you? Yeah, I, uh, one of the interesting things that happened when we got to 10 years, so this is seven years ago, was that um, uh, I said to the board, let's sit down and let's just figure out what Family First has achieved over the last 10 years. Let's put uh, make a list of our victories. And um, so we had a whiteboard and the whole whiteboard is still white. Um, although we could probably, maybe we could add um, winning the cannabis referendum. But the thing was that we were just, you know, losing a lot of these social debates. And to be honest, uh, you know, the anti-smacking debate and the abortion and the euthanasia and the conversion therapy and the gay marriage and um, changing birth certificates so you can put whether you're male or female and ignore biology. Uh, you know, there was just a, a whole lot of um, debates and, and, of course, being deregistered by the Supreme Court, the government finally winning oh, yes, in years. Although in some ways that's a bit of a trophy because uh, what it realised, what we realised, what they're so threatened by what we're saying was that they had to shut us down. But just just for listeners' benefit, um, Family First was deregistered as a charity, and so huge financial implications because previously, if you registered as a charity, your donations are tax deductible, but it was deemed to be doing to doing politics. Uh, I don't know quite the <laughs> terms. I remember reading it. But, you know, Greenpeace yeah. or Rainbow Youth, I guarantee they're charitable, charitable organisations, right? Yeah. 
and Child Poverty Action Group and the Helen Clark Foundation, all the groups we were coming up against are all charities, but we're not because we believe that the traditional family and that marriage is one man, one woman. And for that reason, uh, we need to be um, deregistered. Isn't that, well, that's a great place to, to leave it, Bob. Look, well, can I just leave with um, just a statement I was going to make was that I realised that we're not in this game to necessarily win because I think in the culture we're going to continue to have these challenges and if we look to politicians to solve the problem, we need to realise that actually they are part of the problem. Uh, maybe that's part of the wake-up call as well. But we're not here to necessarily win. We're here to speak truth. And so that's our um uh, mode of operating is um, lose, right? is to speak truth. Yeah, we just got to speak it truth is. into these debates. I mean, I knew that we were going to lose the gay marriage debate because I knew the numbers in Parliament. But it, for for about six months, everybody was talking about marriage, so I just took the opportunity to mm. to get out there the truth about marriage. Mm. So you know, you've got to look at those opportunities as they come. Well, you were right about that, and I was wrong. Chalk that one up. Another one that I was wrong about. <laughs> Well, how do how do listeners find out more about your organisation? Yeah, just go to familyfirst.nz. Great, and um, we're gonna we, I, we we rambled around because it's it's you're so wonderful, you're a great conversationalist, and I, I I love it. And I want to get you on. I hope you'll agree. And I'd particularly like to do um, education and what's happening there because mm. your revelations. Have uh, absolute bombshells. People can go to your webpage and they will see handbooks for uh, parents and grandparents about how to approach your school, what you can ask for, what what you've got a right to see, what how you how you can have your say and influence matters, and also what is going on in the schools. And mm-hmm. um, not only have you got those resources that you can read, uh, you've also got uh, Bob giving his uh, video blogs which are fantastic. He's a very accomplished journalist and interviewer. So I urge everyone to do that and become followers like me of Family First. And Bob, wonderful to have you on. Thank you for your time. Good to be with you, Rodney. This is uh, Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, I know. I'm going to get emails saying I spoke too much, and I do apologize, but I get on with Bob McCroskey, and I just get energized. And i got to pull myself back and I'll try and do better. But he is an amazing man. Um, he has been tireless in New Zealand. And the great thing about Bob is he never loses his call. He can talk to anyone. And when I was disagreeing with him, and bear in mind that I was wrong and he was right, <laughs> he was always a total gentleman, and in a strange way, ultimately that wins, doesn't it? Because you look at the behaviour of people that you're having a debate with and you see it when they listen to you and they act courteously and with respect. You think, boy, there's something there. And when you see them screaming and calling you names and wanting to inflict violence and calling on the mob to inflict violence, well, that tells you something about them. And Bob is truly uh, one of the good guys. So it's always a pleasure to uh, have him on. 
you as Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio.